0: We registered a 100-year-old woman last month, 100 years old. She had never voted in her life. And when one of our staff members asked her, you know, why she hasn't voted in such a long time, she said that no one ever asked her, that no one ever approached her and asked her to register to vote. So we registered her to vote that day. Hello,
1: this is The Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Kadida Kenner, the executive director of the New Pennsylvania Project, a group modeled after Stacey Abrams's. New Georgia project. They are working to expand the electorate in the crucial state of Pennsylvania by mobilizing youth and people of color. In particular, we had a very good conversation about her path to this work and how the project is being put together. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Kadida Kenner at the New Pennsylvania project. Kadita, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography?
0: My name is Kadita Kenner. I'm the CEO of the New Pennsylvania Project and the New PA Project Education Fund. Both organizations are voting rights organizations with a primary purpose of voter registration and engagement and education. And we center communities of color. We also center immigrant communities and younger folks as well. Prior to founding the New Pennsylvania Project, I was the director of campaigns for the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center in Harrisburg, where I had worked for more than four years trying to raise the minimum wage in Pennsylvania, trying to ensure we had equitable funding for our public schools. I also led the Why Courts Matter Pennsylvania work. I still do as co-chair of Why Courts Matter Pennsylvania, where we look to you know bring the importance of the federal and state courts to Pennsylvanians. We pushed back on the problematic judicial nominees from the Trump administration and most recently trying to fight back against all the constitutional amendments that might be on the ballot in May of 2023.
1: How did you first become interested in politics? Did that start young for you?
0: It did start young for me. I, I come from a family who's always been politically involved. I come from a family who's been invested in civil rights work. My youngest memory is of my mom taking me to vote with her and getting to watch her cast her ballot. I was always involved in school politics as well, as early as the eighth grade. So yeah.
1: Where did you grow up exactly?
0: I grew up in Westchester, Pennsylvania, Chester County, about 35 minutes outside of Philadelphia. I've lived elsewhere and I've done this work in North Carolina. Most recently, I worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016 in Charlotte, North Carolina. I previously worked on some other various campaigns. I worked on the 2008 Barack Obama campaign, Mayor Michael Nutter in Philadelphia's reelection in 2011.
1: To what degree is this modeled after the similarly named group in Georgia?
0: Yeah, we're actually named in homage to the New Georgia Project. Shout out to Ense UFAT and Stacey Abrams. This organization was, was founded to try to replicate the magic. It happened in Georgia, you know, although that organization was founded in 2014, it took, you know, some time. This is a marathon, not a sprint. It took took some time for them to see success. And I believe that's going to be the case here in Pennsylvania. We would love to be an overnight success. And we are having some successes here as an organization, but it's truly going to take multiple years to be able to engage the 1.7 million Pennsylvanians who are eligible to vote but not registered in this moment.
1: I was just going to say I had NSA on the on the show some time ago and I admire their work down there.
0: Yeah. We're not the same demographics as the Georgia, right? We don't have the same weather uh, as Georgia either. Um, but Pennsylvania, you know, we are 27% uh, communities of color here in, in the Commonwealth. We have a really growing and um, active youth population as well. And so we're hoping to you know, replicate many of the successes of the New Georgia Project. I was actually able to spend a little time with them as this organization first was founded. I flew down to Georgia and spent some time with Kendra Cotton, the COO of the New Georgia Project. I did get to have a conversation with Stacey Abrams um, when she was on her tour several months ago in North Carolina talking about what it is that we're trying to do here in Pennsylvania and how we named ourselves in homage to the work, uh, the incredible work of the New Georgia Project. And since then, there's been so many other state projects that have opened up. Uh, there's also the New North Carolina Project. Uh, my friend, Dr. Amy Steele, leads the New North Carolina Project. I've gotten calls from other states who are interested in me sharing my experience with, with this organization and, and forming this organization because there's other states who want to duplicate these efforts too.
1: It's also like Georgia has hopefully fully become a swing state. The future of the nation is held in the balance by Pennsylvania as much as any other state. So it must be, you feel really important what you're up to.
0: Oh, absolutely. Pennsylvania, we're the birthplace of American democracy. And obviously the 2020 election, Pennsylvania was key in determining the outcome of the 2020 election. We probably have the most important gubernatorial race here across the country, We have Governor Wolf, who has protected the Commonwealth against some super problematic bills with his veto pen. And then we are coming here into the 2022 election where we have Doug Mastriano, the Republican candidate for governor, who not only attended the insurrection on January 6th, but helped to fund it and fund others to join the insurrection on January 6th. It's going to be interesting. Uh, We also have probably what most folks are calling maybe the most flippable U.S. Senate seat um, here to replace Pat Toomey. This is going to be a very important election for Pennsylvania. Uh, You know, every year someone will say that this is the most important election of your life. And I'll say today that if you care about voting access and freedom to vote, this is the most important election of your life.
1: There's a sense that Georgia has been moving the right direction for Democrats for a number of years. What is your sense about Pennsylvania? Do you think that there's a direction that the state is moving politically? I'm sure that some groups are moving one way and other groups are moving other ways. Is there any general direction that you can sense or is that undecided right now?
0: Well, statistics tell us that at one point, Pennsylvania had a 1.2 million gap, more Democrats than Republicans. This is around the time of uh, Barack Obama 2012, I believe it was. It was a 1.2 million gap. Uh, that gap has closed to like 600,000 more Democrats now than Republicans. And so there is absolutely a shift there. I think a lot of this can be attributed to the fact that Pennsylvania has been stuck at a 725 federal minimum wage for a very long time, which doesn't keep young folks in the state. Pennsylvania is one of the older states in the country, and so older demographics tend to lean more conservatively, and younger folks do not. And so I think that Pennsylvania is going to have to do a much better job of keeping young folks in the state if this state is going to move in a more progressive lean.
1: What's the sort of founding story for the new Pennsylvania project? How does it get going and what part did you play in that?
0: Coming out of the 2020 election, many people here in the Commonwealth thought that besides the the Biden win, there was a lot of losses that Pennsylvania experienced on the progressive side. All the row offices were lost, the auditor general office was lost. The treasurer's office was lost. The state house saw lots of defeats. And so there were several people who formed, came together and and thought that this was going to be an opportunity to bring change by expanding the electorate, that in order for progressives to start seeing wins and all the things they've been fighting for, that they're going to have to change the way the electorate looks, and so there was a group of folks who approached me back in January or February of 2021, and you know asked me what I thought about, um, you know, what can happen here in Pennsylvania in terms of registering those who were unregistered, and you know that that prospectus was worked on over time to ensure that we were centering communities of color, that we were going to be an organization that was going to do this work year round and not just along a political cycle or two months ahead of an election, but really year-round engagement. And that if we were going to center communities of color, we weren't just going to pop up in their neighborhoods without being in their neighborhood with someone who comes from the neighborhood. So having a trusted messenger that we would hire and give full benefits to and mentor and train up to be the Stacey Abrams of their block and register their own communities to vote. And so that's really how the New Pennsylvania Project came to be. There was an idea that there needs to be more people in Pennsylvania voting. And then it morphed and evolved into making sure that we were centering the appropriate communities and really investing and spending time in those neighborhoods and not just going in and and asking for their vote and then walking away.
1: You said several people and you said a group of folks. Can you be more specific about who these (laughs) people are? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, so our board consists of some players from around the state who have been involved in politics for quite some time. We have board members such as Eugene DePasquale, who's the former um, Auditor General of Pennsylvania. We also have Marlene Katz as our board chair. She actually ran for state house in 2020 out of Bucks County. We also have three board members who are currently House members. We have the leader, Joanna McClinton, on our board. We have Representative Patty Kim and then Summer Lee, who is going to most likely be the next congresswoman out of Pittsburgh and the first Black woman um, to win a Congress congressional seat here in Pennsylvania, are part of our board, as well as other advocacy uh, folks. The founding folks were those who had led environmental rights organizations who had really been involved in the department of um, you know dep um, and others that you know thought that this that they were going to have to change the way that the electorate looks so that was kind of the folks who came to me um, in early 2021 with their idea
1: so what did you have to do if you have an idea when you want to start an organization but you got to look for funding you have to look for staff you have to find your fit with the other progressive organizations in the state can you talk a little bit about sort of what it took to pull together the effort, which I sure, I'm sure i sure is still going on. What has it taken?
0: It took a lot of hard work and patience and a lot of time. Um, it took an effort in which, you know, we had to, um, you know, create a logo, create a website, create a prospectus, approach potential funders, um, and then hire staff that will do this work. And so I'm proud to say that, you know, we came a long way in a very short amount of time. We were actually registering folks to vote in the first month of existence, even before we had all the goods, before we had the website, before we had the logo, we were actually out there registering folks to vote. And not only that, but there's a C3 organization, which is the new PA Project Education Fund, which is just recently uh, received our IRS determination to be a full-fledged, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. That came later. We started originally with the new Pennsylvania Project to do more partisan C4 work. It took a lot of work. It took for actually adding more folks to the board to making sure that our board uh, represented Pennsylvania, that it looked like Pennsylvania. And then I was the only staff member from May to November. I was working with fellows, uh, college students and others who um, were able to join me on the ground. And I was out there knocking on doors myself. (laughs) to start this thing off and get it going. And then we really took off quickly. We had some really good funding come to us because Pennsylvanians realized that this is the way to go. I can say to the audience out here today that we raised more than a half a million dollars from individual Pennsylvanians who give us their hard-earned money. And not even just Pennsylvania, but across the state of the 67 counties in Pennsylvania, 62 of the counties uh, contribute to the work that we're doing on the ground here. I think that Pennsylvanians realize that the way to go in this moment is to expand the electorate. Not to say that you know it's a waste of money to give your your money to political candidates, but I think that there are some folks who are also realizing that if we're going to have some real systemic change, that we're going to have to change the way the electorate looks.
1: Half a million dollars is a ton of money. It's also a tiny drop of money in what will be spent in pennsylvania in an election cycle and i know that say stacy abrams organizations have raised very large sums comparatively is money available to you beyond that from sort of the progressive coalition in the state and outside i mean it sounds like the kind of thing where that's a very great step as a startup but it's also hopefully just the beginning how do you see this in The goals of the of your enterprise over time
0: yeah that's just the individual contributions that i mentioned i see yeah we raised that money early on with individual contributions there are obviously other folks who are funding this work
1: what's the total
0: We're looking to have $2 million that we're able to spend in 2022 is the goal that we're looking to spend at least $2 million in 2022 to do this work, which means that we, you know, we still have some funds to raise to get to that point. But I think we can make an impact as an organization if we can get to that level of spending. This is going to be hundreds of, thousands, hundreds of millions of dollars being spent in this, in this election. And we're just one, one piece of that, just trying to register people to vote. We have a goal to register 35,000 Pennsylvanians by November 8th. We've already registered close to 14,000 Pennsylvanians at this point, and we know that it's going to ramp up in the final three months here as we come to the home stretch.
1: How does that fit in with other folks doing voter registration in the state? What are your best allies in this effort?
0: Yeah, you know, we do sit at the various tables across the state to be good partners in this ecosystem. you know, we, when we originally um, are founded, we wanted to be good partners in the ecosystem. We wanted to fill the gaps that existed. We didn't want to or need to step on toes of those who were already kind of doing the work, uh, which is why we chose the particular areas in which we are engaging in 2022. We chose areas in which there maybe weren't any organizations doing work in some of the areas we're doing that was a really important for us was to make sure that we were being good ecosystem um, partners, really partnering with other groups, you know, Black Voters Matter. Um, we've done nonpartisan work with the NAACP and attended some of their e- events, or there's other organizations that sit at these tables that we've partnered with and engaged to do this work. It's important that we're strategic as an ecosystem to, 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 reach as many of these 1.7 million Pennsylvanians as we possibly can. And keeping in mind that we do center communities of color, younger voters and immigrant communities.
1: So as far as staff so far, what have you hired up? How many people are currently working for you and where are you tending to go?
0: Yeah. So as I mentioned, I was by myself besides some fellows that we had some paid fellows to, to assist in the voter registration efforts as we built the organization And I'm proud to say that we are at 18 staff members today. These are full-time staff members that, you know, we're not just hiring for a political cycle, but we hope to have remain with us through 2023 as we build for 2024. So it's really exciting that we're able to provide living wages, 100% medical, vision, dental for our staff, and that a a good working culture because so many of our staff members are organizing out of their own oppression. It's been um, probably the most important thing and, and the most impactful thing is just watch this organization grow and and to be able to help others provide for their families by doing this important work.
1: When you have a staff of eighteen, that's a, a sizable number of people to manage. Could you tell me a little bit about how you think about leadership and management uh, in a you know in a progressive group. What do you think makes a good executive director?
0: Yeah. So. Well, I'll say this, it's 18 right now. And we look to double in size in the next six weeks. So we're going to grow rapidly. Wow. And I think the best thing you can do, yes. So the so best thing you can do as a leader is to hire the best to do this work alongside you. We have ensured that that happened as an organization. Um, we are making sure that the leadership team in this organization are people who come from these communities, because again, they are the trusted messengers and that we are able to organize in a way that makes sense. And so we're in Allegheny County. We're in Harrisburg region, so the capital region, Lancaster, Cumberland, Dauphin County. We're out there in the Poconos area, so Monroe and Northampton. We're also in um, the color counties of Philadelphia, so Bucks County, Chester, Montgomery, Delaware County. And so all of our senior leadership team come from these communities. And I think what matters in this moment, I kind of alluded to it earlier, is that our staff are folks who are kind of organizing out of their own oppression and they are representative of Pennsylvania. And so we have folks who are part of these communities of color. We have folks who are part of the LGBTQ community. We have those who are differently abled to get involved and help us do this work so we truly can be reflective of what it is um, that we want to see and the changes we want to see that we're representing what the demographics of the Commonwealth look like in terms of our leadership. But at this time, it's really just inspiring not only the staff, but inspiring our board members and inspiring our donors and funders that this work is important right now and that there is so much more to be done and just trying to inspire folks to know that this is a way in which we can bring about some systemic change in Pennsylvania. So in terms of leadership, It's just making sure that we have people on our team who would do this if they were independently wealthy and they would do this for free. But who is? And so we're out here working to make this happen.
1: You spent over five years at the Budget and Policy Center. What did you learn there that you apply to running this?
0: I've traveled a a various path to get to where I am today. You know, I've done various things from restaurant management and clothing retail management. And I'm a journalist by trade. And so, you know, I've produced football and basketball games for college sports, HBCUs in particular. And then I've done, you know, this political work, which is always called back to me. But I think what drew me back to Pennsylvania, because I was living in North Carolina in 2016, early twenty seventeen, what drew me back to Pennsylvania, was the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center, you know, reaching out to me and recruiting me to join that organization to do work around the courts. And so that's initially what my work was when I came back to Pennsylvania from North Carolina was talking about the importance of the independent judiciary and trying to protect the federal courts against the Donald Trump confirmations that he was very successful at achieving. I think what I learned the most in being with the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center was just the the back end of, of this, learning about policy, being able to talk about minimum wage in wonky ways, being able to talk about the funding formulas for public schools, being able to talk about taxes in a way that makes sense For people. One of the skills that I picked up there at the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center was being able to take these more complicated issues and put them into bite sized pieces that the regular person like myself can understand. Because if we're going to advocate for things, we need to be able to communicate what it is we're actually advocating for and in a way that reaches people's hearts and also just enough that it reaches their mind as well.
1: One of the reasons I really like to talk to people like you. Is because we're in this sort of national fight which is actually part of an international fight between the forces of nationalist authoritarianism which often also has a racial bent to it and you know you're on the front lines of that as much as anybody else and it's happening all across the country i don't know to what degree like people understand that fight as any different from their day-to-day fights. You know, life is challenging for most people. How do you see what you're doing in your sort of lane in Pennsylvania? How do you understand that as part of a, a larger fight for our democracy and for you a know, more progressive view of the world?
0: We have this saying that we're defending democracy and we're still waiting for a really good definition of what democracy means for our communities. I say this all the time that we have our staff members who are organizing out of their own oppression, who know issues better than anyone else who can study up on issues because they're living them. And, you know, I think about when we're trying to encourage somebody to register to vote who has remained out of the electorate for various reasons, what will actually bring them in? You know, when I'm talking to somebody who's 47 years old and they've never voted in their life, I'm talking about the issues that matter to them and listening to them about what what the issues are in their life. You know, we make these assumptions about why people, certain people stay out of the electorate, why they don't cast ballots consistently and help to build power in their neighborhoods. We're going to talk about what happened in the 50s and 60s and try to sway some folks. But we're also talking about what's happening in this current moment. It's the pocketbook issues that keep people from casting ballots. When you're working two and three minimum wage jobs, you don't have a Tuesday from seven in the morning to eight at night. You might be working two and three shift jobs and you might wanna put dinner on the table and help children with their homework instead of casting a ballot on a Tuesday night. And so we talk about what is keeping people from actually casting ballots and, and how we need to get so many on the block registered to vote, to build power, to get their needs met. So often people will say, I'm not voting because my life isn't changed. Yeah, I did, I voted back in 2008, my life didn't change. So why should I vote now in 2022? And really trying to get people to understand that in this current moment, our freedom to vote is at stake. The various ways in which systems work or have not worked throughout time for the communities in which we serve how building power on the block is how they won in the 50s and 60s and was able to experience rights for the first time. That if your entire block is not registered to vote, why would an elected official care about this block? You're not putting them in office and you're not taking them out of the office if they're not doing their work and you're not holding anybody accountable to what they're supposed to be doing when they are elected officials. And so we just spend so much time just talking about building power in communities. We know that the people in power are not as strong as as the people. Really just trying to, when we talk about defending democracy in this time, it's just making sure that the systems that have worked for all people continue to work for all people and then expanding what democracy looks like because throughout history, democracy has not been the same for all people here in this country. Here we are, Pennsylvania, the birthplace of American democracy. And I see this as being probably the state with most in peril throughout the entire country in this moment, when we have folks who would rather put barriers in front of people so that they can't cast a ballot. So they make it more difficult where they don't have language access on their ballot, where they want to take away the opportunities we have to actually vote early through mail-in ballots so that we don't have to have a 13-hour window on a Tuesday that determines whether or not we make our voices heard. When we talk about defending democracy and we talk about fascism and, and authoritarianism and, and all those big words that, that regular people don't care about, at the end of the day, they care about putting food on the table for their children and living life in peace. And we have work to do to make sure that all the communities in Pennsylvania feel as though they are able to live in peace and successfully put food on the table and clothes on their kids' backs.
1: It's a very compelling message to me. How... Do you feel that the people you're trying to reach receive that? Is that an effective message? Do you end up converting people into registering and then, I hope, voting? What do you actually see where the kind of the rubber meets the road at the, you know, when you're making the contacts with real people?
0: No community is a monolith, and um, if I had the answer to. Tell you exactly what I need to say to a young black man to get him to register to vote for the first time. We wouldn't have 1.7 million unregistered folks here in Pennsylvania. And so I think what is working is doing lots of listening first to find out what has kept people from joining the electorate and voting. It can be something as simple as not knowing that we have vote by mail and that you don't have to just vote on a Tuesday in November. It can be something as complicated as just talking about what could actually serve your community. That if you do vote in record numbers on this block, you will have elected officials pay attention to what is happening on this block right now. That crime can go down in your neighborhood. There's just so much that, that we can say that we haven't said because these are also communities who never get engaged. They will never have an elected official knock on their door to talk to them about casting a ballot for them or about any issues in general and it's just as simple as actually having a conversation we registered a 100-year-old woman last month 100 years old she had never voted in her life wow and when one of our staff members asked her you know why she hasn't voted in such a long time she said that no one ever asked her that no one ever approached her and asked her to register to vote so we registered her to vote that day and hopefully you know at 100 or maybe she's 101 by November 8th that she'll actually cast her first ballot and so I think it's just really engaging communities who don't get engaged is number one. That's how we have have made change and how we have had some success in registering hard to reach communities and that we are there. And we're not just there, you know, one day they're going to see us walking around that same neighborhood in our T-shirts and they know we're serious. We're not just there for a cycle. We're not there for a political party or a political candidate. Where there is concerned Pennsylvanians, just like they are, wanting to make sure that we can make things better for ourselves and our kids.
1: How much have you learned about what works in this process from other groups that are doing this work around the country, like the New Georgia Project, or honestly, there's uh, many, many of them. What have you picked up from what other people do in their efforts?
0: You know, I think what we're learning is that you can register somebody to vote. You can stand outside a grocery store. You can attend a pride parade. You can attend a Juneteenth event and you can register somebody to vote. But if you don't stay engaged with that person after you've gotten them to fill out their paperwork, this is all for naught. And so I think what we've learned from other organizations who do this well is that they don't just register people to vote on a piece of paper. They stay engaged with them throughout the entire process. And what we do right now is call everybody that we register to vote to ensure they receive their voter registration card in their mail. We are reaching out to them. If they have provided contact information, then we are sending them emails or we are reaching them on TikTok or we are reaching them on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, wherever they may be. So, you know, what we're learning from organizations who do this well is that this isn't just about collecting voter registration forms and saying you've registered this many people to vote, but actually ensuring that they actually then hit the polls and cast a ballot. There's something to be said about the various ways in which you can engage in voter registration and and conversations you can have. There are organizations that have been around for decades or even centuries, right, that register folks to vote in a very nonpartisan way, which is great because we it's, you know, it's our mission to make sure everybody gets registered to vote. But when you're centering some communities of color, you need to have some real conversations and you need to be free to have these conversations to get them involved and in actually voting. And so we have success in registering communities of color because we're speaking about the issues that they care about because we live in those areas that they care about. We have success with engaging younger folks because our staff, you know, is on the younger side. And so they can speak um, to their own generation about the importance of voting. So what we've learned from other organizations that do this well is that they don't just stop at collecting a voter registration form, um, that they take this all the way and they partner with other organizations across the state. And so if I'm registering folks in an immigrant community and I don't speak that particular language I'm going to take that information that I have and reach out to my partner who does speak that language and make sure they get involved with these people we have registered to vote because they're going to be that trusted messenger for that person, particularly if there's a language access issue. So I think that's kind of, you know, the basis of, of what's being done. You know, there's organizations that, are, like I mentioned, who have been doing this for a very long time in a nonpartisan way and kudos to them. But I think if we're expecting some different results, we need to be different in our approach and doing this nonpartisan voter registration the way that most organizations have been doing it, people it get the goods, but we're going to get the goods as well when able to have more real conversations. You know, we have people who approach us all the time while, we're, while they're completing their voter registration forms, and they get to the question where they need to pick us a political party. And I can't tell you how many folks have no idea who is a Democrat and who is a Republican and who does what. And not having to be handcuffed and not being able to be free to have open conversations with people when they get to that part. We can do that as a, as a C4 um, organization. We can have more real conversations. And I think um, that's also something that's newer for Pennsylvania is being able to do voter registration in this way. So many who have been established um, don't have these types of conversations where they can be more free to have good conversations while registering people to vote.
1: What I hear from people like you who are like, focused on the actual lives of the people you're talking to and what challenges there are and the difference in sort of knowledge between elites who are funders or political operatives or elected representatives, there's a distance between people who operate at kind of a higher level of politics who've been in it for a long time, like you have, those people can't imagine someone not grasping the difference between Democrat and Republican because they're reading the paper, they're following the storyline, they see the polarization in this country, what they see is a vast difference between the parties, right? And not everybody does because their life is not absorbed in the same way. Making that gap disappear or go away a little bit is a huge part of the task, right? Tell me about that. Tell me a little bit more about what you see there in the difference between the politically educated and highly involved class, but that may not really always get it, and the people that you're talking to day to day through a project like this. Am I right about that?
0: Yeah, there's something to be said about that. You know, we live in these bubbles. There's the echo chambers that we all live in as well. And so, you know, when we talk about people that know the difference between the Dems and the Republicans or what a party platform is or what a closed primary is, you know, there's some of us who have been in this and we're super voters and we vote twice a year in Pennsylvania every year. and We know how to vote for judges and, and how to vote in the municipal elections. And there's also people who are just living their daily lives and also could could be educated folks. You know, I have friends from high school who reach out to me every election day. Yeah. What am I supposed to do here? You know, and these are engineers. These are medical doctors. What am I supposed to do here? What am, who am I supposed to be casting my ballot for? So we, you know, we can assume the education level all you want doesn't mean that they're politically involved. What we're doing well with the New Pennsylvania Project is that we're speaking to people where they are. We're speaking to them where they are, not only physically, but where they are in this process, we have to get out of our bubbles and stop assuming people know what we're talking about. I can say constitutional amendment all I want. Doesn't mean anybody knows what I'm talking about when I'm talking about how we need to stop constitutional amendments next May of 2023. But I can break it down to say, um, if this happens, you're going to have less access to abortion. They're going to understand that. So I, I think that we have to you know, stop trying to be the smartest in the room. A lot of times, those of us who are in this work. And and speak with people and reach them where they are, literatively and figuratively, so that they truly understand what's happening. And there are some things that, you know, we think we may know because we have statistics on this and we've taught this class or did that. But these people are living this life. You can't tell somebody how to live on minimum wage if you haven't lived on minimum wage. They know how they're living on minimum wage. I think that we have a lot of work to do to get out of our bubbles and get out of all these assumptions about what we think people should know. We have taken civics out of lots of our schools, and that's pro- most likely done on, on purpose to keep the constituency not involved or educated about this process. Donald Trump said it himself, I believe at some point that he likes the lower education voters, right? Because they're easier to, to sway or move. I think that we have work to do. You know, we're doing voter registration, but we're also doing civic engagement. We're doing voter education because that is what it's going to take. You know, I traveled the state talking about the importance of the federal courts and I could use big words all I want, you know, about the judicial confirmation process. But if I didn't touch somebody's heart about what was happening in that moment that Donald Trump's administration was trying to put lifetime appointments out there on our federal benches who thought that transgender children were the work of Satan, um, Jeff Mateer, that people understand. We need to do a much better job of of talking to people and meeting them where they are literatively and figuratively by not needing to be the smartest in the room when we're having these conversations.
1: Some of those smart people that I've talked to will say something like, it's a waste of money to fund efforts among young people, they just won't end up voting. Or similarly about other subgroups that you are actually focused on. They say, let's spend money where studies have shown that it's going to make more of a difference. What do you say to people who maybe are reading studies that are telling them don't bother with the constituency that you are bothering with? What do you say to those people?
0: You know, I can say this, though, in the, in the last year or so, I think a lot of that has come around. There is a lot less um, focus on trying to move Republicans to Democratic sides or try to get suburban white women um, to come a certain way. I, I think that if you are uh, paying attention to what's happening in Pennsylvania and across the country, you're going to realize where your bread is buttered. And you will realize that it is the younger voters and it is communities of color who came out in record numbers in 2020 and had the impact they had um, to ensure um, the election went the way it went in Pennsylvania. So if you did not have people of color voting in 2020, if you did not have the youth come out in the record numbers in which they came out, we would be living in a totally different society in this moment after that 2020 election. So I think that those folks need to check the math. Um, about who actually brought it and who actually voted in the ways that made sense and voted their values to ensure that we could uh, have access to abortion, that we could have fairly funded schools. The naysayers that, that may exist still out there, you know, they've been doing their thing the same way all this time, and we have the results that they're not looking for. And so it's time for them to try a, something a little new and have a little faith. And organizers who have been doing this work on the ground for years, um, that we know we have the pulse of what's actually happening out there on the ground. So, yeah, so, you know, we're going to continue to center the communities that we do because we know um, that this is where change will happen. And these are the folks who have been disenfranchised for so long. And if you believe in democracy, if you believe in equal access, then you're going to make sure that these are the communities who do get centered in your work. Um, And not just because they tend to vote one certain way, because all communities are not a monolith, but I can say uh, Black women in this country have been defending democracy for a very long time and saving lots of bacon around here. It's only right that we start listening um, to Black women and others when we tell you in this moment, this is what we need to do. This is where we need to do it in order to actually bring about this change. And we all know the definition of insanity. Insanity. And so we're going to have to try to do some things a little differently if we're actually going to bring about some change.
1: I know that this kind of organizing requires not only the kind of commitment and knowledge that you're bringing to it, also requires databases and requires tracking information. You're going to get back to people like you say that you want to. You have to be good at record keeping. If you're going to have other actors in the system come after you as they have come after the groups in Georgia. You better be able to defend how you spend your money. Tell me a little bit about sort of the nitty gritty of what you have to do with technology and with record keeping and with sort of process to make this work as efficiently and get the most bang for your buck that you can. How How is that going? Yeah.
0: I mean, I knew from day one, being a Black woman leading an organization that is trying to register Black and Brown folks to vote, that I'd have a target on me. Um, I have had a target on me. <laughs> You'll see that some folks like to use my name in their newsletters to do their fundraising. I'll, I'll take that because I'm going to use them in my fundraising as well. I'm pretty easy to find. There's not too many Kadita Kenners in the world. We were very strategic in how this organization started, ensuring that we had the top talent, that we had um, all of our T's crossed, and all of our I's dotted, that, uh, you know, we keep our receipts, right? Uh, figuratively and literat- literally, you know, we have the receipts. And so we made sure that this organization is set to do what it's going to do, that we have the tightest quality control put in place in this moment, that we have uh, one of the top data consultants in the Commonwealth working with us to ensure that we are keeping this information accurately. Who is that? Eddie Foster is one of our data consultants um, that helps us in this work. He's been doing this for many years. You know, he's a great guy who, who understands what's happening.
1: Do you mind if I ask what databases or other tech you end up using, what do you have access to, and through whom?
0: When you sit at uh, various tables, you have access to NGP VAN. I think this actual call has NGP up there. I don't know what that is. But um, yeah, NGP VAN to assist in our data. Um, And then we have our own internal record keeping that we use. Uh, Security is something that actually, you know, we'll continue to work on because we are in times in which uh, people would love to be able to disrupt us and and take over any security systems that we have. So, you know, I'm cautious about the things that I discuss um, around that. But, you know, we do. We have systems in place. We are ensuring that the folks that we register to vote get a phone call from us to make sure that their voter registration form turned into um, a voter registration card. And our staff is not here to collect the paycheck. They are here for this mission. Um, and that is why we've taken our time and hired the appropriate people to do this work. Uh, we're not out here just trying to collect uh, voter registration forms as some kind of quota or, or making money form or anything of that nature. Um, These are folks who are doing this work as a full-time job and take this very seriously. We don't want to just collect forms. We want to collect voters. We want to turn these forms into voters. And it does us no good to do um, anything nefarious that would stop this effort.
1: I know that you have to go to a meeting uh, shortly, you mentioned. um, Is there a question that I should have asked you that I haven't that you'd like to answer?
0: Well, you know, Nathaniel, I, I'm actually a trained journalist myself. That's what I went to school for was journalism. So I know that the last question you're supposed to ask is, is there anything that I missed that you want to mention? And this is where I get to say my two minutes of everything I want to say. And so, you know, I think I've gotten across a lot of of what's important about this organization in this moment. I'll finish off by saying I am hopeful that 2022, we're going to see a wave of new voters vote in Pennsylvania for the first time and bring change to their communities so they can begin to get their needs met. This is the number one reason of people we engage why they're not registered to vote. They tell us it is because they voted before and their needs haven't been met and nothing has changed in their life. So we're spending a lot of time countering that narrative and hopeful that at the end of the day, Pennsylvanians are going to do the right thing, that those that were registering to vote are going to buck the trend and actually cast a ballot, not just register to vote, but actually cast a ballot. And we're going to ensure that we help them the best way we can to get out the vote efforts to make them get them to the polls or get them to the absentee ballot. No excuse, absentee ballot, uh, mail-in ballot. Um, So, you know, no, I I think I've gotten to cover it all. I want people to remain hopeful out there. I have a thing that I do as I travel the entire Commonwealth because, you know, we're we may focus on certain regions, but we're all over the place. I'll be in Venango County next month, you know, in rural Pennsylvania, talking to folks there. I travel with the Baird Rustin with me wherever I go. Um, Baird Rustin, the architect of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in 1906. I travel with Baird Rustin because he's from my hometown of Westchester, Pennsylvania. I travel with Baird Rustin because... He organized the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, got 500,000 people to show up on the National Mall, and he did that without Facebook and without email and without the internet. And he reminds us that the proof that we truly believe is in our action. And so, in this moment, I encourage anyone listening to this podcast today, tonight, to get involved. If that is donating money, if that is donating time, if that is donating skill set, we ask that you come join this work with us, help us expand this electorate so people can start getting their needs met. I'll leave it there. Let's turn this all this talk into action and get busy.
1: I know that when we're approaching the election or just after the election and they're counting votes and it's nail biters between good and evil in your state that I'm going to be thinking about you and people like you who are trying to push us in the right direction. I really appreciate what you're doing.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time. And thank you for what you do.
1: That was Kadita Kenner. She's at newpaproject.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.